Thank you, John. Who is God? There is perhaps no more important question that people can ask in the world today. So that's where we're going to begin our discussion this morning and what we're going to think about together. This next week, I ask that you would uh, be praying for me. I'm actually going to be speaking at Camp Barakel. Uh, and, and we're going to be talking about our identity in Christ all week long uh, with middle school campers. Uh, and, and so I pray that you would help me to uh, bathe that time together in prayer because I think identity is something so important for all of us. But it starts by having an understanding in a foundation based on knowing who God is. So open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 6. This morning, and while some of you are turning there, I want us to quickly think about when it comes to shopping or or purchasing experiences, why would anyone choose a small town specialty store when Walmart or Amazon or Timu or whatever newest internet uh, website is is there to provide things at a lower price? Or, Or why would somebody going to a new city? Look for a, a small little church rather than a, a mega five to 10,000 member church where they have all these services that they can offer you. Why would anyone choose something smaller and local? It's because, as people, we care about personal connections. We, we know that when I, under, when I know somebody better, they can better understand my needs and I understand them. There's a better connection when there's a problem that that arises with whatever I purchased or someone in church and I can go to them and, and, and have this personal connection with them. Although I think, unfortunately, way too often in this world, so many people go through their lives not truly knowing and understanding a God who wants us to know, who wants to know us personally and intimately. They may know some things about God, but they don't really know Him. Many people, many people feel like God is so far off and He's distant and, and He's not involved in their lives. But that has never been God's desire. God has always wanted to have an intimate, personal connection with us as His. Creation, And we're going to begin to see that in Exodus chapter 6. Let's read together verses 1 through 13, where it says, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. I say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. 
I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into this land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for your possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then, sh- how then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Our first point that I want to look at this morning is behold. Verse 1 tells us, now you shall see. God has made himself known, but fallen people refuse to acknowledge him. God has clearly and powerfully demonstrated who he is with these very familiar Old Testament accounts. The Israelites, they, they knew who God was. Maybe you are not familiar with where we're at in the story of Israel. But God has revealed himself to Moses in a burning bush. And he said, I am going to, to use you to set my people free. And, and God has promised that he will lead his people out of ca- captivity. This has all happened prior to Moses approaching Pharaoh and God sending the plagues of Egypt. So we're right in the middle between God appearing to Moses in the burning bush and, and God actually sending Moses to go to Pharaoh to set the people free. And we're living right there in that middle part together this morning. And what does God tell Moses? He says that he heard the cries of his people. God had heard what they were going through. God sees it. God knows it. God understands all that they are facing. And and he is the God that, that, that has told them already and promised that he would redeem them. This is the God that we read about in Exodus 3, verses 7 through 8, where he says, out of the burning bush to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry. Because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them. God's promised them deliverance. And he says, I know them. I see them. I know their sufferings. I've heard their cries. I've heard their groans. I know all about what is taking place. And God promised that he would deliver them from those things. But even though God has promised this Deliverance, even though God has, has told the Israelites that they are going to be delivered, the Israelites are oftentimes just like us. But that's not how I think God should do it. That's not when I think that this should have been done. I'm not even sure that God sees and knows what's going on here. All too often, we, we begin to have these, these questions in our mind. God told them that he would do it, and yet they just had no confidence. They had no, no, no rock-solid surety that God would do this for them. And so God told them, I see you. I know you. I have everything under 
control, and I am going to deliver you. Having been told about the promise of his deliverance, having been demonstrated the power in the burning bush to Moses, it wasn't enough. Because you see, sometimes we begin to lose sight of the fact that God knows the beginning from the end. And we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Because we aren't all-knowing, and, and the future is not laid out for us. We, we get so bogged down in today that we lose sight of the fact that God has promised to do something in the future, and if God has promised it, it is, it is as good as guaranteed. All too often, we allow the circumstance that we're facing today to become the focus of our lives, especially when our lives are in upheaval. When we're, when we're facing difficult circumstances or trials or, or tragedies, we simply refuse to remember the promises of God or His ability to bring us out of those difficulties and trials, even if He has promised to do that for us. We refuse to trust in His ability to see us through these difficulties. You see, sometimes it's a life of ease that gets our eyes to focus on them. Sometimes we, we get our eyes so focused on our circumstances of life and how good they're going that we lose sight of God and what he's promised and what he's called us to do and what he's told us he will do. Or sometimes we're, we're going through such tragedy and trial and difficulties that, that we put our focus over here and, and all I can think about is, is living daily and, and trying to get through today. And we lose sight of who God is. There's no doubt that the Israelites were facing a huge trial in their life. I can't imagine what it would be like to be under slavery and, and to be serving in those kinds of conditions for as long as they did. And, and it must have seemed like the Pharaoh was all-powerful and completely in control of everything in their lives. And so because they felt that way, that was all that they could see. They couldn't see God. So I don't know whether it was fear or exhaustion or trauma from the past of their circumstances and and living daily under the oppression of the Pharaoh. We don't know what it was, but Moses and the people were beginning to doubt God. Chapter later in verse uh, 22 of chapter 5, Moses asked the Lord, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to these people? Why did you even send me? So even Moses himself was, was doubting So when we take our eyes off God and when we stop beholding who He is, it's so easy for us to to lose sight of what He has promised to do. And then we allow those fears and doubts to dominate our worldview. And our world gets so shaken. And our life seems out of control. So how does God respond to the Israelites? You see, God's response is both an act of loving kindness and a rebuke to the Israelites. God simply reminds them that he has promised to deliver them. He simply reminds them of his promise. God, in his infinite wisdom and patience, doesn't make some new promise. He doesn't even provide any additional information to Moses to put his mind and his heart at ease. Instead, he tells Moses, stop what you're doing and look at me. He, in fact, says, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. I I told you I was going to do it, Moses. You're going to see it. And when you see it, you'll know. 
you'll know who it is that's doing it. It's like the frustration that can sometimes set in when you're dealing with a toddler and you're teaching them how to do something new. I always had Julie do that because patience with toddlers was not always my strength. But, but you're trying to help a toddler do something new and they're getting all frustrated. And, and what do you have to do sometimes? Sometimes you have to say, stop, relax, calm down, take a deep breath, look at me. All right, we're good. Now, now let's do this thing. Right? Sometimes getting them to stop, step back from their frustrations, step back from their problems, and to look at you, and then they can calm down, and they can accomplish the thing that they were trying to do. And that's what God is doing for the Israelites and for Moses here. He's saying, take a stop, take a stop and take a second, take a breath. Step back, and you'll see what I am going to do for you. Sometimes we need that clarity to stop and look at who God is, to relax and to try again. You see, God is not slow in keeping his promises. We, we feel like that sometimes, but, but God is working out things in his timing and we can trust him. And so he patiently reminds Moses that he's heard their cries, he sees them, he knows what they're going through. And that should give Moses great confidence. But also, there's a, there's a slight rebuke in there as well, because Moses and the people were doubting God. Maybe they doubted God's ability. Maybe things had been going on for so long that they doubted that God really could rescue them. Maybe they were doubting God's desire to rescue them. Maybe they were thinking, maybe we're such a wicked people, we don't deserve God's rescuing. I don't know what caused them to doubt, but I get it. I get it. Doubt just creeps in sometimes to our lives. But God's response is a gentle reminder and a rebuke when he says, now you will see what I do to Pharaoh. You doubted me, but I will do what I've said I will do. I will display my power to Pharaoh and my power to you. I told you I would do it. Just relax and have faith and trust me. In the difficulty Israelites were facing, it's likely that they were beginning to think Pharaoh's hand was all-powerful and in control of their situation. It's easy to, to step back and to feel like all of the problems in our world have all the power. But God wanted them to understand that he is the one who holds all the power. At the end of verse 1, it says, For with a strong hand he will deliver them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. It's important to note that the strong hand that's being talked about there is not Pharaoh's strong hand. It's God's strong hand. Well, well, how should we know that that's talking about God's hand? How would Moses have known that that's not talking about Pharaoh's hand? Well, in Exodus chapter 3, verses 19 through 20, which happened before this moment, God tells Moses this, But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. 
God had told Moses, this is exactly how it's going to happen. This is exactly how it's going to work. Because God wanted the Israelites to make no mistake. He is their sovereign ruler. He is the king of the universe. He is the all-powerful, almighty one. And now they're going to see it. When we face obstacles that seem too great for us to overcome, we should step back and behold our God. Truly take a look at who he is and take comfort in knowing that that God is always at work, whether we feel like it or not, whether we see his hand or not. He's at work in our circumstances and we can trust him. Our second point this morning is, I am Yahweh. Perhaps one of the most beautiful parts of this passage of Scripture is is not simply a demonstration of God's power, but the fact that God wants to be known. He is a personal God. In verse 2 we read, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah. Last Sunday when Dan was beautifully unpacking Psalm 23 for us, he gave a brief description of the word Lord. For us. As Dan explained, out of such great reverence for the Lord's name, the scribes wouldn't even actually write the vowels of the name of the Lord. And so, so people truly don't know how to actually translate that. And so we have translated it as Yahweh or, or some Yehovah, Jehovah. Because God, though, revealed himself to his people. And, and we out of fear and reverence, they wouldn't even write his name. So in context, the introduction of the name I am, that, that is when, Jesus, or the, when God said to them, I am who I am. He said it to Moses from the burgeoning bush. When the people ask who, who's sending you, say, I am has sent you. I am the one. And so the, even though the Israelites had been in bondage for centuries, n- near the end of this time, Moses Fled, to, fled and lived in Midian for 40 years, and God came to him and spoke through that bush. And, and God revealed himself. In Exodus 3.14, God said, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people, I am has sent me to you. God wanted to be known by his people. I am has sent me to you. When you are afraid, Israelites, know that the great I am has sent me to you to deliver you. When Moses has fear and doubts, he should remind himself that I am is the one who sent me to do this task. He is, God is stating that he is the eternal one with no beginning and no end. He is everything that is real. He is the, the ultimate reality. All that is reality in our world is because of God who is I am. Outside of him, there is nothing that is true. And that continues for us today. Jesus told the people that before Abraham was, I am. Jesus was making the claim that that the I am of the Israelites is the same I am who is Jesus in the flesh. And because of the gospel, when we are in Christ, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's 
own possession. And so we proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into the marvelous light. We are the children of the I am because of the gospel of Jesus Christ at work in us. But the fact that we are his, it has power. It has significance. It has meaning because of who God is. If, if we belong to a not all-powerful God, if we belong to a God who is not the great I am, then we should be people of great fear. And so in our passage, when, when God is addressing Moses and the Israelites' fear, he reminds them that he is the all-powerful, ever-existent I am king of the universe. He is self-sufficient, and he needs nothing. His, he is the name that is above all names. He is the God who is in control of all things. And he is the one who sees his people, who hears their cries, and who loves them. And who has promised to redeem them. God is telling Moses that he can trust him because the great I am has spoken. Understanding the weight and the power of the name Lord, the I am who I am, is important. Because in all these complexities, when, when we don't know how to understand God, when we understand at the basis core, He is the all-powerful, ever-existent, holy God of the universe, He can immediately put to, to calm, put to rest the fears, the doubts, the questions that you and I have. Who better to answer the questions that we have than the great I am? And God's existence is not contingent upon anyone else. His power is not contingent upon anything else. His plans are not contingent on my life's circumstances. He promises that he will be, and what he says will be, will be. He will be the eternal constant because he is i am he is ever present and unchangeable completely sufficient and able to do what he wills and he can accomplish all that he wills and when he says something will be done it will be done and he wants to be personally connected with his people in verse three we read I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. God doesn't want to be the far-off, impersonal God. He, he has appeared to them. He says, this is how they shall know me. He is the God who was worshipped by their forefathers, and he is the same God that we worship today. In relationships, history matters. My longest-standing friend in the world is named Spanky. It's not his actual name. In case you were wondering. He was the first friend that I made going into the second grade. That's a long time ago. And, you know, sometimes I may say things that a friend or other people in my life might not like. But sometimes Spanky is able to overlook those things because of the great long history that we have. Because we have been friends for so long and we've been through a lot together, we've gone through good times and we've gone through bad times, oftentimes Spanky will give me the benefit of the doubt. Relationship matters. History matters. And God is saying to his children, 
I want to be your God. And history matters. All these things that I've done for you in the past matter. All these promises that I've done for you that have come true matter. You can trust me. Because I have done these things for you. But more importantly, you can trust me because I am. We can trust God for for who he is. Because sometimes as fickle human beings, we we begin to doubt and question and do all of these things. When we begin to doubt and have those, those fears and things overtake our hearts, we need to remind ourselves that God is the great I am. The same God who was known by the forefathers, the same God who delivered them, the same God who remains faithful to us, he is the one who will, who will get us through today and tomorrow, and he is the one who has accomplished everything necessary so that we can have an eternity with him in heaven forever. But that God, the great I am, he will remain faithful, even though sometimes we are faithless. Continue looking at verse 3. It says, I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. That's the El Shaddai name of God. But by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. God tells them, I told my forefathers about you that I was God Almighty, that I was El Shaddai. They didn't even know my name as I am, but you do. You know me more than they knew me. You know more information about me than they they did, and yet they were my people. So God is revealing that he is the great I am, that he is the all-powerful, he is the El Shaddai, he is the Yahweh, the Lord, and he wants to be known personally by his people. Quickly look with me at verse 5, where we get more insight into the personal relationship that the Lord wants to have with his people. We see in verse 5, Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the, who the Egyptians hold as slaves. I just one more time want to reiterate, it is so important that God wants to be intimately involved in our lives, that he hears our groaning. He sees our pain. But immediately after, and immediately before, God says that to them, he reminds them that he is a covenant-keeping God. Continue in verse 5. Moreover, I've heard the groanings of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. He reminds them that he has made a covenant with them, and he hasn't forgotten. While it may seem like he has, he has not forgotten. And he continues in verses 6 through 8, telling them exactly what he will do. He says, I will bring you out. I will make you my people. I will be your God. I will bring you into the land. I will give you the land. He wants them to know that the great I am is trustworthy. I will do it. One author notes that the repetitiveness, the seven times that this I will statement is said, marks that God's personal direct involvement in Israel's affairs, he brackets it with the declaration, I am Yahweh demonstrating certainty of fulfillment. Seven times he says, I will do this. And on both ends of this, he reminds them that he is Yahweh, I am. So you and I can trust that it will be done. The Israelites should have had no doubt that God would do what God said he would do. But for us, there's also a great warning in this passage as well. 
And I think it is this. Knowing about God is not enough. The Israelites knew about God. They, they had so much information. They had seen him. They, they, they learned his name. They knew that he was the El Shaddai God Almighty, but now they knew that he is the Yahweh, the Jehovah, the I am that I am. But knowing the truth about God isn't enough. We have to believe it. We have to apply it to our lives. We must believe that God is able to do what he has said he will do. We must believe that God is capable of the things that we see as seemingly impossible. If we don't truly believe it, the harsh realities of this fallen, broken world can seem absolutely overwhelming. If I don't believe that God is sovereign and the ruler of all heaven and earth, then this broken world can seem overwhelming. You see, Moses said all the right things to the people, but they didn't listen. Look at verse 9 where it says, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. The word that's translated broken spirit there in the ESV is, is translated discouragement in the NIV, anguish of spirit in the King James, despondency in the New American Standard. They were desperate, they were broken, they were crushed. Because they'd taken their eyes off of who God is and were looking at their circumstances. They were beat down and broken. They'd endured a lot of harsh treatment and it didn't seem like there would be an end in sight. It seemed impossible that they would be rescued. They were physically weak. They were emotionally drained. They were in a a bad state of mental health. They were in a dark, doubting place. They could not see the light of hope because they did not see I am. Too often we think that, that we, as believers, are, are above this kind of behavior. I would never be like those Israelites. I would never get into that dark mental place. I would never get depressed because of, uh, of doubts and fears that, that I have in my life. But these kinds of dark moments can catch up to all of us if we're not careful. These kinds of fears and doubts can creep in for all of us when we're hurting and afraid. This account should be a great reminder for us. God knew what he was going to do. And he heard the groanings of his people. He knew exactly where they were. These verses, this memory, this memory of God injecting himself into their situation prior to his acting would be a reminder for them of the power that he has after they saw God's hand at work. And so often it is that way in our lives. We, we know these truths from Scripture. We know the promises of God. But it's only after we see his hand working that we go, wow, I knew that. Why? Why did I doubt? Why did I fear? Why was I so overcome in those moments? Why did I take my eyes off of the great I am? Because after he's worked, so often we are just overwhelmed with a reminder of who he is. And because of that, we should count ourselves fortunate. Not only do we get to look at the history of the people of Israel, but we get to look at the cross of Christ. And we get to know that on the cross, that Jesus, God himself, 
took on the sins of the world so that by grace we could have redemption and forgiveness and mercy. We can look at the cross and know that because of the empty grave there will be a resurrection someday. We can can look at Jesus and know that we have ultimate hope. But that only happens when we fix our eyes on the great I am. When I look at my problems, I can forget that God is the God who delivers his people in Israel. When I look at my own problems, I can forget that, that the great I am is the one who sent Christ to die on the cross for my sins. It's so easy to forget those things when we take our eyes off of God. And yet, God is so patient with us. Our final thing I want us to look at this morning is, how can I do it? Even great men of faith like Moses can have moments of doubt. In verses 10 through 12 of our passage, we read, So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. It never ceases to amaze me how often the Bible shows the weaknesses of the people we consider great spiritual leaders. Moses is filled with fear and doubt because he's simply a man. Even though God had appeared in the burning bush, he had displayed miraculous signs to him. He he had to remind Moses in our passage today that he is the Lord, that he is the I Am. He had been the one who is the covenant-keeping God. He reminded them of all that he said he will do. After all that, Moses then says, how's Pharaoh going to listen to me? Does Moses somehow think God's plans are dependent upon him? And sadly, The answer is yes. And so often in my life, it's the same answer. Do I really think that that God's plans will be thwarted because I am a weak man? If you think that of yourself, we are putting ourselves in the place of God. God is the great I am. God simply responds to Moses and tells tells him, you're not going to do it. I am. Look at verse 13. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge to the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt. This is the charge. Bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. There's no fanfare. There's nothing special. God simply tells Moses, I told you I was going to do it. I will do it. The great I am has spoken. Now go and obey. In our lives, just like these biblical heroes and heroines, sometimes things go sideways when we trust in our own strength, when we trust in our own wisdom. Moses says, I'm not a man. I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. How is Pharaoh going to listen to me? I'm not powerful. I'm not capable. I'm not intelligent. I'm not wise. We have all these doubts. And God says, you're not. But I am. God often uses the weak and foolish to remind us of who he is. 
God uses the weak and foolish to accomplish amazing things in his strength so that he can receive the glory. We see this all throughout history, but we see it very clearly laid out for us in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Moses, although he was a great hero of the faith, is just like us. But thankfully, God uses the foolish, God uses the weak things of this world to demonstrate that he is, I am. He uses us. When we take our eyes off of ourselves and our circumstances and all the things in our lives, he uses us to make his name known to the ends of the earth. So when we take our eyes off of him, God will gently remind us, I am who I am, and I will do the things that I will do. As we wrap up our time together this morning, I think it's important to to stop and think about these truths in, in light of our everyday lives. If you are here this morning and, and life is good for you, praise God. Praise God. It is the great I am who has, who has provided these good times in your life, this good season of your life. And he wants you to be able to look back on this time in the future so that you can continue to trust him. The sovereign Lord of the universe deserves the praise for the good that is happening in your life right now. But on any given day, in any given week, I know that there are a lot of people sitting here together with us in this auditorium or watching via live stream who are hurting, who are struggling, going through various trials and difficulties. I want you to know, be encouraged. You are not alone. The great I am hears you. He knows you. He knows your sufferings. And we want to encourage you Not that we as First Baptist Church or as the people of God have the problems or the solutions to your problems, but God does. Look to him. The ever-existent one has always been there, and he cares for you. But more than anything this morning, I hope that, that we can take a step back, take our eyes off of our struggles, and behold who God is. Do you really know the great I am. It's easy to fall into the trap of of walking with God because of what he's done for us. But we need to trust God because of who he is. In the struggles of everyday life, we we can't take our eyes off of the majesty and the holiness of God and begin to look around. Or we'll be lost and crushed. God, the infinite ruler of the universe, is sovereign over our lives. God is who he is. And he loves us enough to send Christ to die on the cross for our sins so that we can have a relationship with him. So that we could know personally the great I am. And my hope this morning is that, is that in your own life, you will spend time knowing who God tells us he is in the scriptures. You will trust in who he says He is, no matter what circumstance you're facing, no matter what trial you're going through, know 
the great I am. He is the one who can meet your needs. Let's pray together. Father, we live in a fallen, broken, sinful world. We are amazed at our own weakness, our own sinfulness. And yet we are not lost. We are not hopeless because we know the great I am. We know the sovereign Lord over all of the universe. And we know that we are his sons and daughters if we are in Christ because he has done everything necessary to accomplish our salvation. Father, I pray for those who are here this morning who may be hurting. Father, help them to take their eyes off of their pains, their struggles, and to see you. Help us this morning to behold who you are, to dwell and meditate on who you are in our lives so that we can tell this world that is lost and hurting of the hope that we have in Christ because you are the great I am. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.